a British YouTuber's big baby news, are millennials marking the end of the monarchy, and Dolce Gabbana sues call-out account Diet Prada. We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and create this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. So we saw each other a lot last week, but then we accidentally ran into each other on the weekend. If you are following either of us on Instagram, it looks like we had almost identical nights, but it looks like we were together, right? But we we weren't. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like Friday night about 11.30 p.m., I think. I was leaving a bar and who was at the front of the line to get in? It was you. And um, I think we screamed and <laughs> hugged each other very loudly and <laughs> excitedly in front of everybody. Um, honestly, made my night. That was so funny. So funny. So we were waiting for this. My friend and I were waiting in line for like maybe 20 minutes because of COVID. It's one in, one out. We we're like, oh, who's in there taking so long? <laughs> And then I see Tom, <laughs> Maggie's boyfriend, walks down the steps and he looked at me and pointed. He was like, oh. And then I was like, oh, my God. And then, like, a few of your friends <laughs> spilled out and then you popped down. We're like, oh, my God. I wish that we had been in there at the same time, I know. though. Um, that was my first time at that bar and it was very cute. It was so loud. Oh <laughs> Such a grandma. After COVID, I'm like, oh, loud noise. I'm like, I can't. I don't know how to react. But it was very fun. It was probably like 10.30, right? 11, maybe? No, like 11.30. Oh, 11.30. And it was just so funny because I texted you, I got no in way. there and I was like, yeah, it's like that. I was like, where are you, where are you now? Like thinking we could meet up later. And you're like, I'm going home. So it was like the end of your night, but the start of my <laughs> night, like that was the first bar we went to, Ferdy Dirk. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We'll have to go out for real one time. I know. Um, Tom was like, yes, please, let's go out with Jazz. But I would like to also say that we had a dinner booking, me and all my friends, for 5.30. So we were actually out for six hours. It was like hectic. I was very tired. Okay, so it wasn't play. like I was out for like an hour. I was, yeah, <laughs> thank you. So we have an exciting week this week as well with our Melbourne Fashion Festival talk, which we're going to plug again here. So that is happening this Friday, the 12th of March from 2 to 2.45 at the Emporium in Melbourne. What will we be talking about, Max? So it'll be at the Lonsdale Street entrance of Emporium where the big Nespresso store is. And I'm very excited for our talk. We're talking all things greenwashing, all things influencer culture and how that kind of fuels fast fashion. We also have a mini interview with Christina from Rosa Rosa the Label, which is this really like funky and colourful, ethical Melbourne-based label. And Christina is 23 years old and she started the business when she was 21 only, which is so wild. So that will be really fun. It's free. Um, so if you want to pop down, if you have the time, that would be lovely. You could meet some of you guys. But otherwise, it is a live podcast recording. So it will be going up on this channel at some point as well. So yeah. Also, there are lots of other great um, events happening at Fashion Festival this week. It's running from the 11th to the 20th of March. The next day on the 13th, there's going to be a tour of the Nobody Denim Factory, which is a great ethical denim label that we both love. There's going to be like online events, in-person events, of course. We are going to the Gammon Threads Make Your Own T-Shirt event, which will be fun. So yeah get down and like support you know the local fashion industry if you can yeah and there's heaps of live runways that are free as well this year it's actually very exciting um to see how they pivoted because of covid so check it out if you like it's more i would say accessible than ever So I think one of the biggest pop culture news of the week is the fact that UK YouTubers Zoe Sugg and Alfie Days are expecting a baby. Woo! I've actually been waiting for this for so many years. Like <laughs> I am so happy and I'm so excited and I'm not one for baby news most of the time. Yeah, because you we've spoken about this before, but you're a big Zoella fan, right? <laughs> yeah. Or you were? Yeah. Um. I mean, I, I think I missed her prime when she was that 
very big OG beauty haul YouTuber. I started watching her maybe in 2015 and I've honestly been watching her since. Um, so it's been like, yeah, six years of watching her and Alfie. Cute. So they announced it in some very cute um, Instagram videos, one on each of their channels. And then this morning when I was waking up, um, I watched briefly their little vlog on Zoe's channel. So it was very sweet. Is there a video up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Let's stop this recording. Let me go. Let me go watch that. (laughs) We'll insert a little bit of it here. We are having having a a baby. baby. So yes, Alfie and I are super, super excited to say that we are going to be parents, which just seems it is wild. so wild that that is you're gonna coming be a mom. up. You're going to be a dad. That's literally your goal in life is to be I a mum. I know, mom. I'm you're so gonna, excited. They're having a little girl in September, which is very mm-hmm. sweet. And also there was another YouTube baby announced this week. So yes, in the same week. Jim Chapman also announced that him and his fiance are expecting a child. Jim used to be married to Tanya Burr and they were also a YouTuber couple. I just find it so interesting that so many of these people that we perhaps grew up watching and now I guess entering a new stage in life and we're seeing them get married or have kids, you just pulled a face. What are your thoughts about this? <laughs> just because... Um, <laughs> I'm next in terms of like age. So I'm like a five years younger than them. So it's kind of like seeing your, I mean, I'm the eldest sibling in my family, but it's kind of like seeing your eldest sibling or eldest mm. cousins, like having babies and getting married and being like, whoa, it's so weird. Like knowing them from when they were 20, 21 and watching them on the internet. And then now they're having kids. And my friend Lizzie and I, we both follow Megan Ellaby as well quite um, frequently. She's more of like a fashion mm. influencer from the UK. She just had a baby like three weeks ago. Liv Purvis had a baby. Um, so all these people that we, yeah, grew up watching and who were, created that world of YouTube and influencers, everyone's growing up and it's interesting to watch what are your thoughts as well on YouTube families in general? I find them so weird. <laughs> so there was one that I would watch a little bit. So the Sacconi jo- Jolies, I think they're called. They're also a, like a British YouTuber family. I think they had like three kids and they were very, I think they're like three kids on the five or something like that Um, when I used to watch them. And it was just, you could very much tell the influence of having a camera in front of them at all times. Mm. Um, A lot of people speculated that, oh, it looks like they're being spoiled a lot or they're very much like center of attention all the time. And I just think that's not a normal way to grow up. I mean, sorry, I'd like to preface, obviously not a parent, do not know anything Mm. about parenting. So whatever works, I guess, for one family, I'm not going to judge. But I mean, I just judged. (laughs) Um, I just don't know. I don't think I'd do the same. Like I wouldn't have my child as a star of like a YouTube channel before they could properly consent to it. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I feel a bit uncomfortable. Again, not a parent, not an influencer. So I don't know what it's like to depend on Instagram for my income, but I do feel a tad uncomfortable when I see kids being used for ads over and over and over. I think like every once in a while, but like, yeah, seeing even once like every week or every day these kids being Mm. used for like a cot ad and then a pram ad and then a fashion ad it's a bit uncomfortable but to each their own they're the parents they have to decide what they're comfortable with and like if it gives that kid financial security in the future you know that's something you have to weigh up as well um so it'll be interesting seeing what Alfie and Zoe do because they have given most of their lives or their adult lives to YouTube and the internet um I saw a really sweet, mm. my TikTok was full of this when it was announced, a really sweet throwback from, I guess, 12 years ago of Alfie and Zoe um, on YouTube being like, we're not together, we're not a couple, 
Everyone yeah. stops speculating and now they're having a baby. So very sweet. <laughs> it is. It is so heartwarming. I also want to bring up a point that you mentioned, and I think it's very easy for us as, you know, early to mid 20 year olds to kind of fret about the future and, oh, like, when are we supposed to get married and have kids? So as a mini recommendation in the middle of this segment, um, I just listened to the Cuts podcast episode 30 Flirty and Thriving. Did you listen to this one? No, I haven't seen it or heard it. As a name might suggest, it's all about the movie Suddenly 30 or 13 Going on 30, wherever you're from. So it was so great because Avery Truffleman, the host, um, and her fellow like colleagues are all about 30 years old. So they were kind of talking about this big milestone and they talked about how this movie was so influential in their life and what they thought a grown-up would be. So they even interviewed... Um, the writers of Suddenly 30, as well as the actress who plays young Jenna Rink. Oh, yeah. So it was such a great throwback. Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to it. So it was Ooh. interesting to like, kind of debunk all these like five milestones that were set that like originate from the 1950s. I think they're um, like moving out of home, leaving school, becoming financially independent, getting married and having kids. Like these were... I guess pillars from the 50, but we still feel attached to them and like they're still like mm. societal mm. hurdles or expectations that we have to meet. But it's like, okay, let's break that down. Yeah, super interesting. I'd love to listen to that because I grew up in a small town um, in New South Wales. And so it's not just because I grew up in a small town, it's probably just my age as well. But like a lot of my peers are buying houses, building houses from scratch. Um, in, in the town we grew up, having their first kids. Some people got married years ago and it's like, it's very interesting. I'm comfortable in myself. Like I'm loving focusing on my career mm. and like my friends and living in a city and doing all that stuff. Like that's what I've always wanted. But it is fascinating watching the people you grew up with move into those different stages and trying to not compare yourself too much. It's hard, especially with mm. social media seeing everyone standing in front of the sold sign in front of their new house or whatever, like that wouldn't have happened 50 years ago. You wouldn't have seen, unless you were friends with them still, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't know that they bought a three bedroom house in, you know, Newcastle or whatever it is. So yeah, it's an interesting time. Yeah. That's interesting. I remember reading something that was about like how back in the day you would, only measure yourself up to I guess people in your town like people who you were who you could literally see um and live close to but now with the internet you can compare yourself to like the Kardashians or anyone across the globe like with a platform like Instagram whoever you are you still upload photos it's like the same we're on the same level but obviously we're not but I think it gives that like false sense of um like connection or comparison Mm. like it's easier to compare yourself with celebrities when in actual fact there's obviously a massive difference Mm, yeah but one going back to Alfie and Zoe um one thing I loved I saw recently I don't know if it was filmed recently or if I just saw on TikTok but she was saying that um for the past 10 years however long they've been together every Q&A they do there's always questions about when are you having a baby like when are you thinking about getting married and all these like milestones um and I saw a video of her saying like Mm. can I just say that no matter how well you feel you know someone just don't ask those questions because they're so personal and you don't know what's Mm. going on like who knows they could have been trying to have a baby for five years like you don't know what is going on in someone's personal life and I think it's very interesting especially with YouTubers the amount of and influencers the amount of access we think we have over them um And how Mm. asking those questions is so normal when it is such a personal thing. And I don't think you should ask anyone when they're thinking of having kids unless you know, you know, like, Mm. do you know what I'm trying to say? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it can be such like an insensitive thing to ask somebody because you're right you don't know what's going on in their life even regardless if they want children or not but you know the health complications that can be involved or other hurdles like finance and and whatnot so um Mm. but yeah I don't think these topics should be assumptions or common conversation starters that we just go to like how was the weekend (laughs) when do you want a baby (laughs) um yeah I think just being mindful about that 
So we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, and although the interview has not aired in Australia yet, it has just aired in the US Sunday time. So we're going to get into the tea about the Harry and Meghan Oprah interview. So this is the first interview since the royal couple quit the family back in 2020, and they go through a lot. From mental health crises to racial tensions, this was definitely the tell-all interview that they promised. So yes, because it hasn't aired yet in Australia, we haven't watched the full interview, but we've watched snippets of it and we've just been following um, different publications reporting on it. So yes, it was filmed at a mutual friend's house, but also the couple was briefly interviewed at their Santa Barbara home. This little line from The Guardian I just find so wholesome. The interview took place in and around a chicken coop. Oprah held a carton of eggs. Megan held a small basket of eggs. The chicken coop said, Archie's chickens. Oh, <laughs> so sweet. It was also revealed that the sex of their little baby is going to be a baby girl, which is very sweet. I was surprised that they revealed the sex of their baby in that interview. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't expect them to reveal it at all. I thought it was going to be a surprise. So that was very sweet. A little boy and a little girl. Mm. Love that for them. They also said that um, this would be their last child. So a little nice nuclear family. family. Um, So yes, very cute that they told us all that. So now we get into the more juicy stuff. I was incredibly I wasn't surprised by this because it's what Megan and Harry have been saying for like the last year it just made me feel so sad that this is exactly what Diana was saying like I watched um, back when the crown first came out I watched Diana in her own words which was the tell-all interview given in about 1995 where she said really similar things so Megan has said that she felt incredibly isolated She wasn't given much, you know, royal training. She had to Google royal protocols that they got married three days before their official wedding um, that the public all saw, which I don't think is very scandalous because it's like Mm -hmm. you're signing a piece of paper and then that's the big ceremony, you know, even quote unquote regular couples do that. Speaking of Diana, Harry said, I think she would feel very angry and sad at how this all panned out, but I think all she would ever want would be for us to be happy. Yeah, there were so many moments and lines that just felt so impactful and like heartbreaking. Uh, Megan regrets, quote, believing them when they said I would be protected, speaking, of course, about the royal family, and just seeing the treatment that her and Harry have gone through is ridiculous. Like I was very surprised to hear that Harry has been cut off financially since the first half of 2020. So the only money he has besides, um, you know, his deals with Netflix and such is what was left to him by Princess Diana. Mm. And this interview, by the way, um, they weren't getting paid for and people were speculating about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty brave to come out and say all that. But I also think that this Harry and Meghan situation it could have been such a turning point for the royal family. Mm. Like if they had accepted Meghan with open arms, which Meghan says the Queen did, in all fairness, she yeah. says that the Queen was very welcoming um, and that things were about appearances. So if Meghan had a problem with something, it would be, oh, you can't, you can't do that, you can't say that, you know, very restrictive. But Meghan is such a modern woman and she has advocated for women especially to use their voices and speak out for what's right. And she could have been, you know, similar to, say, Malala or Emma Watson, like on the UN stage, being an advocate for women and having that platform within the royal family. It could have been like a brand, you know, a brand change Mm. for them. But instead they've just silenced her the way they did for Diana. And now history is repeating itself like 25 years later. And I think it's just really tragic. And I think Harry and Meghan feel the same way. They think it's just, it's so sad. And it is like watching a really tragic episode of reality TV because this is a real family. Like in it, they say Harry and William, like there's space between their relationship. Meghan Mm. details a time where Kate made her cry at um, a bridal fitting and the press spun it. So they said that Meghan made Kate cry and... Kate has now apologized to Megan, but she didn't exactly come out to the press and say, no, it was the other way around. You know, Megan was the scapegoat. You know, they're real brothers and real in-laws and it is 
very tragic. And hearing about the details that um, surrounded Archie's birth was so wild. I think that was probably one of the most shocking things that I had heard. So one of the things that was revealed was a conversation that was between Harry and a member of his family that they don't disclose. And basically there was concern about how dark the baby skin would be. Absolutely disgusting. So basically Oprah asks, why do you think Archie wasn't made a prince? Was it race? Megan says, In those months when I was pregnant, all around the same time, we had in tandem the conversation he wouldn't be given security, wouldn't be given a title, and also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? Oprah gasps. Who told you that? Megan says there were conversations with Harry about how dark Archie's skin would be and what that would mean. When Oprah asked whether there were concerns that her child would be too brown and that would be a problem, Megan told her, If that is the assumption you're making, that is a pretty safe one. Wow. Megan says it would be very damaging to reveal who expressed those concerns and declined to name them. And Harry, you know, said, yeah, the same thing happened. So speaking of race, Harry also lashed out at his family for failing to publicly defend Megan against what he said was racist coverage of his new wife in the media, most specifically the British tabloids, which we have spoken about a lot recently. So you've got, you know, The Sun, The Daily Mail, The Express, (laughs) all those tabloid rags. Harry says, quote, over 70 female members of parliament called out the colonial undertones of articles written about Meghan, but nobody in my family said anything over the course of three years. And it just goes to show how outdated the royal family is. They are dinosaurs. I mean, we don't know. It could have been a younger person who said that, but I wouldn't put it past being an older contemporary. And it's just like that poor family. How dare they? Mm -hmm. And that's, again, what I mean. She's an American. She was a divorcee. She is mixed race. And this could have been a whole new, literally modern family for the royal family (laughs) instead of this incestuous, you know, white monarchy. But no, this is how it has become. And now a family's broken because of it. Horrible. Again, similar thing happening to Diana. Yeah, and I think it just really solidifies that celebrities and and public figures don't live in a bubble. Like they do see this commentary and they're of course affected by what is said in the media. So obvious that in the royal family that is the case seeing what happened with Princess Diana. But I do think and when people talk and gossip about celebrities, they think they can just have free reign because they won't see it or it won't affect them. But I think this really proves that it does have a massive impact. Yeah, definitely. And just before this next bit, we're just going to have a small content warning because we'll be talking about suicide and self-harm. So similar to Diana's tell-all interview with the BBC Panorama program back in 1995, she spoke of her mental health battles and how the institution and the royal family didn't support Diana even when she was asking for help. It is terrible to see that Megan went through the exact same thing. She says she was on the verge of taking her own life, which is just horrific. The fact that she reached out for help and was turned down is just barbaric. I've never, I, I never even thought that would be a possibility because they were too worried about appearances and what that would look like for them. I mean, I think a suicide would look worse, but anyway. Exactly. Mm. And Megan says, quote, I knew that if I didn't say it, that I would do it. I just didn't want to be alive anymore. She says that she went to one of the most senior people in the royal household to get help, but was told it would be a bad look. And they said because she isn't a paid member of the institution that there was also no help for her, which is incredibly odd because at the end of the day, they're also still a family. Mm. And again, in another kind of tragic comparison she says she went to one of princess diana's best friends for help oh wow quote it takes so much courage to admit that you need help to admit how dark of a place you're in i just think that time period of having a stiff upper lip and that's the british way and you just get on with duty and all that stuff like that is gone they can't sweep that under the rug anymore especially with like the internet and social media, like there's not as much controlling of the narrative as there used to be. Mm. And that's why this has happened as well. 
I don't know, maybe they thought that Megan would just sit down and take it, but she obviously isn't going to. Exactly. And we've seen the um, early covers of a lot of the British tabloids that are going out tomorrow. And you were, you said, oh, I hope they're nicer to her now. But unfortunately, I've been accidentally looking at Facebook comments and from articles from New York Times, The Guardian, even here, like The Age and whatnot. And people's commentary and critique of her, like, it's still as strong and still as ruthless, being like, oh, she's acted through all this, oh, blah, 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 all this horrible stuff. There is, like, no ounce of empathy there. And it's just what what will it take for people to change, I guess, their perceptions of someone who they technically just don't know. I don't know why people are so opinionated about a woman that they literally don't know. Yeah, literally. Like, that's what blows my mind is how can you have that strong? Like, I think she's great. I think more power to her, good for her for taking her family out of that situation. But I don't have a particularly strong, like, you know, opinion towards her I think she's very strong but yeah people just hate her and it's awful Mm. and obviously we know why it's very heavy stuff hey very heavy but I'm incredibly important that she is saying all this but it's not a surprise that's the thing I'm not shocked by any of this this is exactly what I thought would have Mm. come out and it shows that even after 25 years the royal family or the royal institution because she is saying that you know and Harry saying that they have deep respect for the Queen. But that whole institution, as Megan calls it, the firm, which includes like senior aides and officials and all those people, they didn't learn the lessons of Diana. They killed Diana 25 years later. You can see why, well, not even 25 years, 22 years or whatever it is. You can see why Harry has taken his family out of that situation. Because he says, quote, I was trapped. My brother is trapped. My father is trapped. Isn't that so weird? Isn't that so weird that we have these institutions and this monarchy that they feel trapped and they can't leave because it's a duty for what? Like, it's not, Britain isn't even a superpower anymore. It's like got barely any, you know, sorry, I just, I'm just so confused. Like, no, that's so true. Why, why is this happening still in 2021? And a similar thing happened back Mm. in the, um, was it the 30s when Queen Elizabeth's uncle abdicated because he wanted to marry an American. That was a whole scandal. So that's the whole reason Queen Elizabeth is on the throne in the first place. And also why William is now as well is a similar thing. They just like despise this American woman and history is repeating itself. It's so funny because I think I was quite naive and um, I always looked at the royal family as a group that was quite, I guess, obviously privileged, but spoiled and, you know, covered in riches and all this power. But that's, of course, not the case. And and showing that many of them feel trapped by this, I think, is, yeah, really telling. Like, why do we still have it? Um, so it is good to see that Harry is enjoying his freedom now. He said, this is so sweet, um, Archie's favourite thing to say is, drive safe when people leave the house (laughs) oh my god and that's so sweet oh my god and also kind of sad considering how his grandma died yeah I just realized that which is really sad as well actually yeah oh it's a bit creepy in a way so on a lighter note Mm. how did this end yeah it was nice to see that Megan says she's happy now so Oprah asks so Your story with the prince does have a happy ending? She says, it does. Oprah then asks Harry, do you think Meghan saved you? Without question, he replied. And then Meghan says, it was Harry who saved, quote, all of us. That is so sweet. Um, apparently there's also going to be a little bit more of the interview that's going to air tomorrow that couldn't be included as well as reactions from around the world. So we'll also keep an eye out for that. So Amanda Gorman, who is the poet who spoke at the Biden inauguration a few months ago, she tweeted out that, quote, Megan was the crown's greatest opportunity for change, regeneration and reconciliation in a new era. They didn't just maltreat her light. They missed out on it. We'll definitely be posting that on our Instagram. That is very powerful stuff. Just sums it up, doesn't it? That, again, this could have been an opportunity. Mm. It wasn't. Now they're in America. They really ruined it. What will happen next? Trust in the, you know, 
Royals will be even lower, and yeah. In fashion news now, Milan fashion house Dolce & Gabbana has filed a defamation suit against Diet Prada for $780 million AUD dollars, which is so much money. Um, Diet Prada, if you don't know, is an Instagram fashion watchdog. They have acquired, I think, like 2.5 million followers and are some sort of a call-out account online. So this suit was filed in Milan Civil Court in 2019, but only became public this week when Tony Liu and Lindsay Schuyler posted about it on their Instagram. So we're just going to read a little bit from the Fashion Law, who are a similar fashion watchdog account, but they've got a legal background. So... According to the complaint that it filed in early 2019, Dolce & Gabbana alleges that by way of their heavily followed Instagram account, one that currently maintains some 2.5 million followers, Diet Prada's founders initiated a smear campaign consisting of serious and repeated defamatory conduct aimed at damaging the Italian brand and costing it 3 million euro in damages. The multi-million euro harm came as a result of the Chinese government abruptly blocking the elaborately planned runway show that Dolce & Gabbana was slated to stage in November 2018 and also from various brand partnerships that never came into fruition as celebrities distanced themselves from the brand. This was all due, Dolce & Gabbana has argued, to Diet Prada's alleged defamatory pattern as well as its illegal publication of Stefano Gabbana's private conversations on Instagram. After an alleged attempt at mediation failed, Dolce & Gabbana filed suit in Milan two years ago and now counsel for Diet Prada founders Tony Liu and Lindsay Schuyler has filed a lengthy formal answer to Dolce & Gabbana's complaint, accusing the brand of abusing the judicial process and asking a court to remedy some alleged procedural wrongs at play. So you might remember the famous Dolce & Gabbana scandal in 2018 when they created culturally insensitive videos promoting a major runway show in Shanghai. It was the one where the Chinese model was attempting to eat Italian food. With chopsticks, yeah. <laughs> I've stopped supporting, I mean, not that I can afford to support Dolce & Gabbana, but like I've stopped <laughs> even like thinking about them paying any attention to any of their collections what are they doing culturally like since then i just feel like they're so old-fashioned they're mm. racist they're homophobic they're boring they're old like <laughs> I, don't, I don't care <laughs> yeah but this is interesting about the whole i think the the angle of diet prada getting sued and called out mm. is interesting yeah okay so what i find interesting about this is dolce and gabbana have done what they're accused of doing and what I mean by that is they were the ones who published that um, culturally insensitive video and then the public dms of the founder you know he wrote them himself it was it was a bit weird because at the start he um, first denied that he wrote it he said that he was hacked but then later he also posted a video apologizing about it um, so the director of the Fashion Law Institute had a good quote about that. She was like, a public apology and a quiet lawsuit really cancel each other out in my mind. Mm. And I know I'm getting very convoluted here, but basically what I find is interesting is that the main basis for this defamation, like I've just mentioned the video and the private messages, are things that Dolce & Gabbana have created and Diet Prada have just reported on it. They've just amplified this message. So I'm yeah. thinking, why are they the ones getting sued? Yeah. Well, I guess they're saying it's a smear campaign. So if you feel like you've been targeted over and over by the same people, I guess that's why they're suing. But yeah, you're right. Like they have just been reporting loosely. But it's kind of similar. I listened to a bit of Shameless the other week and they were talking about celebrity spell check and it's kind of similar, obviously different countries, but like the defamation lawsuits and the laws, how do you say something without the evidence? You know, there's so many laws so that people can't just go around like smearing other people all the time. Yeah. And another weird thing about this was that because this has been filed in like the Italian courts, their defamation laws are much different mm -hmm. to like the US's. So it's kind of brought up more complications that's why I can't really wrap my head around it but what they kind of define as defamation is different to what we have here and over in the US um, and the two founders of Diet Prada have asked 
um, that the case moved to the US courts because they have more of a history of dealing with, I guess, critical reporting um, in the States. So it would, it kind of makes more sense there. But also, I'm not a law person. So <laughs> this is me reading a couple articles. But what I found interesting recently, I thought Die Prada for ages. We reference them a lot on here. Like I get a lot of information from them, but they've also been targeted lately over just the lack of nuance and the way they're kind of canceling people. The business of fashion called them the most feared Instagram account. They have huge influence. I actually saw a tweet the other day being like Diet Prada has rotted our brains because a woman or a teenager on TikTok she made a video with pictures from a famous fashion designer's office and the way it was inspired by some artwork in the 1930s and interior design from the 30s. And she was like, he's copying this like famous designer from 80 years ago. Like we have to call him out. Like not everything is an original thought. Like that's what culture is. It builds mm-hmm. off things from the past. And by him having his office designed that way is just being in inspired by he's not earning money because his office he's not selling the desk chair he's sitting out in his office you know if he was selling chairs or t-shirts inspired by that design that's a whole different thing because they're earning money off it so this person was being like diet prada is really like rotting our brains in terms of Mm. when are things inspired by the culture and fashion versus when are people copying and stealing? Well, I find that so interesting. And I do think they have, Diet Prada, have kind of fallen sometimes into the bullying category. So did you see, I think it was perhaps a week ago, they posted another post about Danielle Bernstein, who is the influencer behind Who, What, Where. Um, She's been on their page a lot for some more serious claims. So she's been accused of plagiarism multiple times. But now their recent post was very strange to me. It just posted that, oh, Danielle has posted her first TikTok video and people don't like her here. And it just kind of felt unnecessary. That's not real journalism at all. Um, mm. And it just felt like they get a lot of great engagement on posts about her. And it just felt like, oh, this one will get a lot of likes because it's funny because we're laughing at this one woman. It's interesting because she has been accused of like stealing other people's designs, but I don't know. I don't think that's a get out of jail free card to just mock everything she does. I don't think that's um, productive. Yeah, I think you're right in saying it's not productive. Yeah, I saw that. Everyone was like, get off TikTok. She was even like stealing people's content from TikTok as soon as she got there. So anyway, that's another story. But talking about Diet Prada, yeah. Do we consider them real journalism or is it just like a space to... Citizen journalists, perhaps? Ooh, citizen journalists. That's a good one. For those who might not know, citizen journalists who are sometimes called collaborative media, participatory journalism, democratic journalism, street journalism, it's kind of based on public citizens playing an active role in the pre- in the process of collecting, reporting, analysing and disseminating news and information. So I think in the day and age of everyone having their own their own Twitter page and their own Instagram page um, and everyone has a hot take on everything, like us right now, I guess, the rise of citizen journalism, I think, has become so mainstream that we don't even use the phrase that much anymore because to some part we all play a part in this. I don't know if Tony and Lindsay from Diet Prada have a journalism background, but I think journalism as a term is quite vague and broad now and I think that's okay. I think it can look like many different things. You know, people call, I mean, is daily mail journalism, perhaps, but doesn't mean that it's good. We're kind of reckoning, I spoke about it briefly last week as well, but we're kind of reckoning with cancel culture and how Diet Prada should be more nuanced takes and analyzing rather than just canceling of figureheads. It's actually interesting that you mentioned that because um, you pulled out a great quote here and it says, Fashion, it seems, is moving towards a more nuanced court of public opinion where consumers and employees are pushing for systemic change at every level instead of the mere removal of figureheads. That quote is from an article called Fashion, Who Will Cancel the Cancelers by Rachel Tashtian for GQ magazine that came out in July last year. So this isn't a new topic. Speaking of Diet Prada, they are just kind of back in the news again because of the Dolce & Gabbana lawsuit so yeah it'll be interesting to see what becomes of them
what are you recommending for us this week, Mags? So I was going to recommend WandaVision, but I realized you've already recommended it like about a month ago. And we've basically talked about it on every episode since. So I'm not going to go too much into it this time, I promise. Um, but I do want to chat about it just because season one just finished. Um, and just as a brief rundown, if you haven't seen it. So One Division blends a style of classic sitcoms with a Marvel Cinematic Universe. And it is actually set three weeks after the events of Avengers Endgame, which came out in 2019. And Wanda Maximoff and Vision, who are two events Avengers are living an idyllic suburban life in the town of Westview, New Jersey, and they're trying to conceal their true natures, but they begin to suspect that everything is not as it seems. So it's definitely like a mystery meets sci-fi meets fantasy show. It's very thrilling and exciting to watch. But what I kind of want to recommend is um, a YouTube video that kind of breaks down the episodes. So this is such a nerdy recommendation, but it's fine. So um, as we know, the episodes only came out weekly, so I was yearning for more content. So Tom, my boyfriend, and I would watch a recap episode straight after watching the actual episode. So we watched this YouTube channel called Emergency Awesome, awesome name, and... <laughs> And the video names are quite clickbaity and they change, but they're kind of along the lines of like episode six, top 10 breakdowns and Easter eggs and ending explained. Um, it's like really intense, but I actually do think it makes a really good job of breaking down the episodes and giving extra information. So it basically goes through the entire episode and picks up any references to anything from the Marvel universe, specifically a lot of comic book references, which I of course have no idea about. There's also for instance ads in the actual um, WandaVision shows and this channel explains the meaning of them all things from um, I guess the brand names to the sound to the style of ad it's very interesting Um, and it's also a very nerdy film studies vibe so if you enjoy that I think you might enjoy this extra information Um, my only thing is that the guy can be kind of patronizing at times he's like obviously we all know and then like insert a very niche detail that nobody knows um but still and yes very kind of mansplainy but I guess that is his YouTube channel um but I found it entertaining and informative and it kind of I would say um I guess it strengthened my whole WandaVision experience cool yeah I remember you saying that you were watching them as we were like talking about the episodes each week I did recommend it a month ago, but I also have never seen any other Marvel movies. So I felt sometimes that I was like out of the loop a little bit. So maybe I'll go back and watch the those episodes to like really get the full experience. Like I don't understand. I knew the ads, each ad was for the time period it was set in, but I don't really understand the significance of it. I'm obsessed. I was on Etsy last night and looking at merch. Like that's how obsessed I am. <gasps> Were you actually? <laughs> yeah. But it's so nice to be in that world and like be really into something oh, that, that's so nice. Yeah. Now WandaVision's finished, we won't speak about it anymore. <laughs> I actually brought it up in one of my uni classes as like an icebreaker and I hated myself for it because we had to go around saying, okay, like what movies do you hate? And the girl before me was like, I hate all Marvel. And I'm like, fair enough, but have you tried WandaVision? <laughs> um, so that's my mark on the class. I'm the same, but it's now opened my mind up to Marvel a bit more. Still war propaganda, still very American, but. Yes. <laughs> maybe I'll just watch the ones with Wonder and Vision. And just to round up this WandaVision chat I would like to leave us with one of the most lovely quotes from the series and it is what is grief if not love persevering that was the sweetest line but then all the memes this week ruined it I know it's so funny it's like what is marvel if not war propaganda persevering Anyway, so what are you recommending for us this week, Jazz? Before I get into my recommendation, I would like to put a content warning just here because I will be speaking about sexual assault. So this last week in Australian politics and current affairs has been incredibly tough. If you're not aware, Australia's Attorney General has been accused of rape by a woman who sadly took her own life last year. On Wednesday, he held a press conference and denied the claims. He said he was going to take a break for his mental health. Um, And this comes just after Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins also came out saying she was raped in Canberra's Parliament House. 
It's been a very heavy week, especially for survivors. And I've been wanting to write something about it, but it's just so exhausting to have to dig up those feelings every time something like this comes out. I'm getting a lot of flashbacks to the Me Too movement when that was like at its peak in 2017, 18, all the Harvey Weinstein stuff and that pressure of having to share your story and your experiences. And we posted a tweet actually this week being like, I would love to bond with women over anything else apart from sexual assault, but here we are again. It feels like women are whispering again to each other, sharing their experiences because this is all being brought out and played out in the public sphere. So like I said, I've been thinking, should I write something? Should I say anything? And I haven't, but I did stumble across a opinion piece for The Guardian by Anna Spargo Ryan. It's called, I think I speak for a lot of Australian women when I say I'm so tired after this week. I actually read out Anna Spargo Ryan's piece just three weeks ago about the lockdown. She's one of my favorite writers at the moment, Australian, and she just sums all these emotions up so beautifully. So I actually asked her if she could read out a bit of the piece herself. I don't presume to speak for all women, but I think there's a good chance I do when I say I'm so tired. I'm so tired of having to disclose my own sexual assault so a man can practice compassion. I'm so tired of having to be contextualised as someone's mother and someone's daughter before I can be believed. Women are victims and protectors both. It is still necessary to confess to the indiscretions that have befallen you to the laundry list of touchings and takings. This is also how we form the femininity that reveals us as hysterical, an aberration, an overreaction. To have a girlhood, outward or inward, in any kind of body, is to start with a baseline of trauma. If the government refuses to set climate change targets, let rage be our renewable energy. Monday is International Women's Day comes around so fast, doesn't it? We've hardly had time to celebrate another community leader is accused of sexual assault day and we're already here again. We don't want the government to host a morning tea catered by women, organised by women. We don't want their 30-second video patronising our womanhood. We need them to come out loudly against sexual assault. We want policies to protect women from harm, to support their recovery and keep them safe. We want action against a nationwide culture that says women are liars. Take over the burden of carrying blame. Legislate for listening. So I would definitely recommend the full piece. It is obviously quite heavy. Make sure you're in the right mindset. Look after yourself first because this is very heavy and exhausting stuff. So yeah, thank you, Anna, for taking the time to read, to write that in general and to read out for us today. So we're actually recording on International Women's Day. So I think this is very timely and I think it's a great opportunity for us to really reflect. I mean, that sounds silly because majority of our listeners are women and we, this is our lived experience. Like we, we think about these things a lot. We don't have the choice really. This is like the body we're born into. So I think. It was a really lovely piece for Anna to write and it requires a lot of emotional energy and emotional labor. So make sure you are taking care of yourself as well around these subjects in the past couple of weeks. It's been, I think, very exhausting for a lot of people. My second recommendation today, I've been having a few weeks of two recommendations, just Mm -hmm. consuming. It is kind of harks back to the topic we were talking about at the start of the episode about motherhood. I'm recommending the book, And now we have everything on Motherhood Before I Was Ready by Megan O'Connell. So I went to the library last weekend and I just found this. It's in a pink cover and it caught my attention being millennial pink. (laughs) And I looked at the author's blurb and she is a writer from the US. She's written for The Cut as well as New Yorker magazine. And this is an autobiography about her experience of becoming accidentally pregnant when she was 29. So she falls pregnant with her fiance. She's in her late 20s. They have like careers and they're working on themselves. She was going to go back to school. She wanted to write a book and she gets pregnant. And the writing is just so accessible. It's very well written. It is very raw. I just think it's such a good book 
to hear about the realities of motherhood, especially as a young mm. person. Because I feel like you hear either, you hear two side, a lot of stories about two sides. So it's either women in their late teens becoming pregnant and how they deal with that, or women who want a baby so adamantly and they struggle to conceive, whether they're in their 20s or 30s, and then they get the baby. I haven't read many stories of women who are similar to me who think like, oh, in the future, one day I want to be pregnant. I want to have a baby maybe one day, but not right now. I'm focusing on my career and then accidentally falling pregnant. So it was just a different story. I like that she didn't sugarcoat anything. That's another thing. I think there's Mm -hmm. a reason why for so many decades women haven't been told about the realities of being pregnant, giving birth. Oh, my God. It sounded sounded awful. Oh, my God, yeah. And also what it's like after having a child. Like, Mm. you know from TV it's painful and all that. But there's so many things I've learned recently that I'm like, I didn't know that that happened. Like, your whole identity changes and everything. So, anyway, this book I would definitely recommend not even if you're like thinking about having kids, but just as a a good read. Like she's a very good writer Mm. and I really enjoyed it. And it's the first book that I've been able to read in ages. I've been out of my reading habit for a couple of months. So it was nice to get back into it with this book. Oh yeah. I have not finished a book this year yet. So that pains me. Um, But it sounds like a lovely read. And I think you're right. It's a nice part of motherhood that we don't hear much about. Like, you know, she's in her late twenties when um, people, I think, because I'm in my early twenties, I'm like, oh yeah, I might be ready then. But when you get to that age, it's it's interesting to see actually the reality of how she felt. Um, mm. And yeah, there's so much motherhood and birth that we just don't know. But I do think conversations are changing. So I do mm. hope our generation is one that will speak more openly on it. I'm not looking forward to shitting on the table. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're really breaking down the taboos here on Culture Club. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, big fear, big fear. Okay, on that note, we might end the episode Mm -hmm. for this week. We'll be in your ears next week. And plugging one more time, don't forget, if you're in Melbourne, to come to the Melbourne Fashion Festival Greenwashing Live Podcast episode. It's going to be so much fun, so please come on down. Uh, We hope to see some of you there. But if not, I guess you can make it up to us and leave us a rate and review, you know. That would be nice as well. Thank you again for tuning in today and we will catch you soon. Bye. Bye.